Why fancy seeing you here? You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hi, lovelies. Thank you so, so much for your very sweet comments all over Instagram about my news of getting a book deal last week. Even my literary agents reached out and said, we've read through all of your comments and oh my gosh, your community is so sweet, so supportive, so excited for you. So even people that are used to watching and following along this process, like my literary agents, realize how special and magical this community is. So thank you so much. And also thank you for your feedback on last week's episode. Specifically, I wanted to read this one comment that I saw on Instagram. Whenever you leave comments below my posts, uh, whatever the last one was, I always read all of those. Even if I don't have time to reply to all of them, I read all of them. And oh my gosh, there were so many amazing ones. Nuwando wrote this about last week's episode. She said, when you say in that episode, this is something we don't talk about enough, you're giving humanity too much credit (laughs) because you're literally the only person talking about the variable of time in seeing a goal come to fruition. Listen to how beautiful this is. She writes, time is like a character in everyone's success story and no one talks about it. And like you said in a previous podcast, there is so much self-coaching we have to do. And part of it comes with self-coaching about being patient with time. And that's why this podcast was so freaking amazing. Jeremy is right, instant classic. So I shared on Instagram that Jeremy had said last week's episode was one of those instant classics, meaning I'm going to be sending people back there for years to come, frequently linking, you know, swipe up to it on my Instagram stories because I just think that being impatient and frustrated and questioning God or the universe or ourselves is so relatable and we will all be in that place. So as I shared last week, we are headed into a petite pod season where many of our episodes while I work on the book will maybe quite short. They may be three, five, eight minutes. I'm not quite sure. Others will be a little more medium in length. Um, I'm just giving myself the flexibility to be a bit more brief and creative with how I do the podcast while I'm investing so many hours all of a sudden into creating this book, which will eventually bless you as much as I hope this podcast does every week. So you just have to be a little patient for the blessing to come when it's the form of a book. But today, you asked so many good questions about how a book gets published. And while I'm sure we will have a fistful of podcast episodes over the years to come about what this process is like, um, the emotional behind the scenes, how you create something specifically for, I I believe it was about 70% of you when I polled on Instagram stories that said you are considering writing a book one day. But even for those of you that are just curious about the behind the scenes of a process today is just those basic 101 questions on how does a book get published because those were the first and main ones that you brought. So Sasha said, what's the first thing I should do if I want to write a book? My answer is number one, start writing. And number two, start building an audience around that topic. And This advice is whatever we want to do in the world. If we want to do something, just start doing that thing rather than prepping and trying to build up all of the right elements to do that thing. Truly, I started writing this book five years ago this summer. I shared last week, I just opened up my laptop in Dubrovnik and I started writing. And even though I haven't officially been writing as I am now three days a week, investing all of this time now with a very specific timeline and deadline, I was still writing every now and then and just staying in that headspace that if I say I want to write and I have an idea and inspiration strikes and the moment comes, just sit down and write. But simultaneously, be building an audience around that topic because Kristen asked, how influential do you think your following was to reach this goal? Huge. It was hugely influential. So a book is a revenue stream for a publisher. And I geek out as an entrepreneur, business-minded person, I geek out at paying attention in any industry, in any element of the world, uh, politics, religion, commercials that you see on TV. Everything is business. Everything is 
marketing is trying to help people with a pain point or a pleasure point, but we live in a capitalistic society where people need income to make this happen, so this is what we trade for information and energy and opportunity, etc. So a book is a revenue stream for a publisher. The publisher's genius is physically publishing the book, physically printing it. How do you, what's the warehouse where everything gets published? How do you, what's the exact paper that you use for a book cover? What are the fonts that you use? I mean, just all of that whole process of making a physical product is their zone of genius. And distribution. How do you get this book into every single independent bookshop and into the you know, the bookstores at the airport and the specialty bookshops and how do you convince Amazon to know how many they should have in stock so that it doesn't sell out and then that hurts your numbers because now people can't get it? How many copies does Barnes & Noble know how to order based on how much the publisher is convincing them this book is going to be a success? So, That whole process, once I write the book and pass it off to them, they are physically printing it and then behind the scenes they have all of these relationships. Not only how do you decide that how many books each independent bookshop should order and and they are in essence trying to convince the bookshop, you're going to want this book. Your audience is going to want this book. There are so many books you could buy in the world. This one you're going to want and you're going to want more than one copy of it. But then also, how do they physically get it to the bookshop? How do you actually distribute 100,000 copies of a book all across the uh, the country and the world. Now we go into international publishing. So that's their whole jam. And they will do some marketing for you, but they have a ton of books. You are one of many authors, many books that they are publishing. So it's not the same thing as having your own personal marketing team as an independent business where you have hired them. Really, with the book proposal, they have hired you. They need a product to sell, so you have a book to provide, and they're going to help you, but imagine if every single author they bring on needs 10 units of help, and they only have 100 units of help to give. They can only publish 10 books, but if they give each you know author one unit of help, now they can do 100 books. So they just aren't going to be able to give you as much help and attention to truly market it. So they are expecting that you are going to do the bulk of the marketing. And they also have an expectation based on the audience you have of how well you're going to be able to market, how much you can sell. And the more you can sell, the more they believe they can sell. So the more audience that you've built, the more it says to them, There's already an interest in this, and this person has built-in buyers, so we're going to have to work less hard to amplify it even more. So that means that you're going to get more a a higher price book deal from them, which means that you're going to get more attention from them, which means that you're going to be able to take the money from that book deal and put it back into, on your end, helping to promote your book. And they will do some marketing, but I really have been paying attention as I've been getting further into this process to follow along with books as they are being released. And there, it just depends if you have a really super topical book. For example, Amanda Klutz's Live Your Life just came out, and that is a very topical book. Everybody is focused on COVID right now. So it is just naturally going to get so much press coverage without them having to try very hard. But I watched three other books release the exact same day, and they just got less press and coverage overall because it's more common that uh, Rebecca Minkoff, who's a celebrity designer, she wrote a book. We do see those kind of books come out. Uh, Lauren Everts Bostick of The Skinny Confidential, she released a book on skincare. Again, that kind of book comes out more commonly, so there just isn't going to be as much natural press clamoring for that. So if you're the rare, unique book that really has something so unique and timely in the market, like one of the most famous widows of COVID, then it's going to have its own built-in press. But more so, the book publisher is expecting them, the majority of sales is going to come from your audience 
which means the larger audience you have, the larger book deal you'll get. The larger book deal you'll get, the more attention and money you will get to go into things. Things that I've learned so far in this process include when you go into Barnes & Noble, the books that are at the front in the displays that catch your eye the most, that is either entirely or in part, I'm not sure about this, but to some extent, that's paid. The publisher is is paying for that placement in the same way that someone pays for a commercial on television or a Facebook ad. When you have a product that you believe is going to sell, you will put more marketing dollars behind it. So they actually pay Barnes & Noble to say, we're going to give you this money so you place this book up front. Now that same publisher may have 25 books that are going into that Barnes & Noble that month, but they're only going to put that money behind one or two of those titles. Those are also the titles that they paid more money for and that likely have a bigger audience behind them. Another example is Target. Target only has a small section for books. When you think about how big Barnes & Noble is, or even how big your local bookshop is, compared to the book section at Target, that's a much smaller section. So therefore, again, they are going to be promoting the lead titles. Not all 25 books coming out that month from the publisher are going to make it in Target. So they're going to put their effort on the ones they expect to be the most mass market sellers. So you have to really think about it like a business pipeline. And therefore, the more audience you're bringing in the beginning, that creates more momentum. Plus, it really validates that there is an audience for this book. And you can say, you know, I was able to say, here's the thousands of students I've had go through my style course over the last 10 years. I've proven that there are so many women, there are thousands and thousands of women that want to hear about this, that will pay hundreds of dollars for an in-depth course. So therefore, there's going to be 10 times that amount who who will pay $30 for the, you know, book package version of that. However, it is also not everything. You want to write a great book. And it doesn't matter if you have a huge following, you still could have a book that doesn't sell. And I've seen that as well, people that have really large followings that you may look up to. But if they don't actually write a great book, it just doesn't really sell. So back to Sasha's question of how to get started, you want to get started doing both. You want to be the best writer you can be and the best marketer you can be. Gretchen said, how does the publishing process work? Traditionally, you write a book proposal, send that to agents, you get an agent who then pitches you to publishers, the publisher then has an editor that you work with, or you might bring in your own outside editor, and they also have a marketing team that you work with, but probably you will bring in your own publicist as well. Sometimes that happens in reverse. So Amanda Klutz, who I mentioned, for example, she was reached out to directly by the publisher who said, you should write this book. We want you to write this book. She wasn't shopping the idea around. It was the publisher who reached out to her. After that, she then secured an agent. We actually have the same literary agency. And that's because you want to have someone who is kind of fighting for you, who's going over the contract, who knows what to ask about and all of that. So every once in a while, it's going to be in a different order. I believe when it comes to fiction, you actually just send the entire manuscript and that is what's being read, not the book proposal. But for most nonfiction books like myself, you're going to write a book proposal and go from there. So my first step before that was to hire a coach to help me with the book proposal because I was struggling to figure out how to write a book proposal. It just wasn't working for me for some reason. It wasn't clicking. I also wanted the accountability and the structure to actually have someone help me because for whatever reason, that had been my huge block. Christina asked, what's the difference between what you submitted, she means the book proposal, and the manuscript that you need to write now? I thought when you submitted it, you submitted the book that you want to publish. So really, she's asking, what is a book proposal? And again, I believe that in the fiction world, it is different and you do traditionally submit just the entire book. But for nonfiction specifically, you put you send a book proposal. My book proposal was approximately 75 pages. And only about 15 pages of that were actual pages from the book. 
I wrote two sample chapters that I submitted. Now, of those two chapters, one of them was pretty much done. I've re-looked it over. It's in my new manuscript. It's good. The other one was the first chapter of the book, which months from now, I anticipate being one of the last chapters I will write. And I have a, 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 a assumption that by that point, it will be completely different from what I submitted. So all that work, the 75 pages, probably I had about eight usable pages out of that that I actually turned around and put into my manuscript. So instead, what you're putting in there is your thesis. Why do I believe this book is needed in the world? What will I say in this book? Who is the audience? Who's the market? What data do I have to back that up? What are comparative titles? Here's four other books that are in the marketplace that are similar to this in certain ways, but here's why what I'm doing is different. Therefore, the publishers are then going to go look up those books on the back end to see how much did those books sell. Were these books big sellers or is this more of a niche, uh, you know, academic category that helps give them a sense? What's your marketing plan? What are you going to do for your pre-launch? What are you going to do for your launch plan? What are all of the connections that you have? Any brands, any colleagues, et cetera, all of that. So really what you're doing is you're making a business pitch for funding. If you've ever heard startups talk about what they do to get funding, they put together a pitch deck. They put together a PowerPoint presentation that I would imagine, though I've never seen a presentation or created one myself because it's not the kind of business that I run. I wasn't looking for capital initially to invest, but I would imagine it's very similar. They're saying, here's our thesis. Here's the gap in the market. Here's what we're passionate about and how we want to change things. Here are comparable products in the market or services that show there's already inroads here, but here's where the gap is. Here's our marketing plan. Here's our timeline. We would like you to invest X, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars because of the proposal that we've laid out, the business pitch. That is in essence what a book proposal is because again, you really are pitching the publisher to say, you, the publisher, are going to choose a set amount of businesses to invest in of revenue streams, of authors. And here's why I am one of the strongest people you can invest in. Here's why my book is not only going to be brilliant and needed, but is going to sell well, and you're going to get a return on your investment. All of the money and time and effort and energy that you're putting into helping me with the edit editing, helping me with the art direction, publishing it, uh, distributing it, marketing it, etc. the money that you're going to give me for my book deal to help me be able to take the time to write it and build the team that I need to write it, all of that, you're going to make more money on the back end. And here is my pitch for why you should choose me over that other author because you only have so many business streams that you can invest in, both your time and your money. For me personally, it really helps me to think about it like a business. Again, any industry, music, Broadway, painting, anything creative is a business endeavor. And I think that somehow that, for my brain, helps me to find that balance and to really understand what is the person on the other side of the table, literally or figuratively, what are their goals and how can I support them in that? What are they looking for? And for me, that takes a lot of the mystery and the mystique out of how do people get these opportunities? Well, it makes business sense to somebody else on the other side of the table. So how can I put myself in the best position to be a great partner for them? That's writing a brilliant book building a good audience, and showing that that audience is already proof that there are going to be more people out there who want this book. Gina asked, how did you find an agent? Oh, Gina, this is one of the great questions of the world for anyone who is in an industry where an agent is required. I have now been in two of these industries because it is very similar in my past career of musical theater. In musical theater, you are at a great advantage if you can get an agent. How do you get an agent is very complex. <laughs> it's like 
maybe do you know somebody? Maybe do you go to an event? Maybe is it a cold pitching? Maybe is it a right place, right time? The more success you have in your performing career, the more success you're going to have in getting an agent. Um, There's a lot of chicken and the egg elements there. How do you get a Broadway show? You get an agent. How do you get an agent? You get a Broadway show. (laughs) Like, okay, there's got to be an inroad in here somewhere. So my best advice Well, here, I'll tell you how I personally found my agent. For me, it's that I hired the book coach to help me write the book proposal. And then she had connections. So she then pitched me to those uh, those agents. For other friends of mine, it has been through colleagues that they knew that they said, would you introduce me to your agent? Sometimes it is from cold submissions or, you know, going to some event where there is a panel of agents that you can meet, et cetera. Some people have been reached out to by agents. Um, Coincidentally, as soon as I announced that I had signed with an agent, I heard from another agent who represents some authors that I love that was like, I would love to work with you. And I was like, okay, well, I just announced that I signed with my agent, so it's like a little bit too late. Well, maybe if you had reached out earlier, but Here's what I mostly want to say to Gina and anyone else in any industry where you feel like there is some gatekeeper, an agent, something that feels elusive and overwhelming and it brings up your insecurity that you aren't cool enough and you don't know the right people, etc. If you want to write a book, don't worry about what's going to happen five steps later. Be writing your book be growing your audience, be working on your book proposal, and trust that that later step is going to come later when it's the right time. And when you have more clarity on your book and you have more of the pages written and you've got the book proposal and you're growing the audience, trust that it's going to happen at the right time. I was very concerned and focused on the agent part a couple of years ago. And even the best connections that I had at the point, at that point, My current agent is a way step above, and it happened once I had the proposal done, once I reached out to the coach for help, once I was at a place where I could actually invest the time to work with a coach to make the proposal happen. So I think it's a uh, counting your chickens before they hatch kind of a thing that we worry with so many life goals, right? What about steps three through 10 so we don't even just start with step one? And I truly think an agent is a perfect example that it is hard to lay out exactly the path to get there, but it happens for so many people. And I trust that if it is right for you, it will happen at the right time. And that right time comes when you start now, as opposed to waiting until you figure out exactly how steps three through 10 are going to work. And then you're willing to start with step one. Candy asked, what does it mean that your book quote went to auction? So the Agents take my book proposal. Once I have signed with the agent, so I was submitted to what my coach thought was the number one agent that I should be with, they accepted right away, which was phenomenal. We got in a call. I loved them instantly. It then took weeks and weeks to go through uh, getting the contract actually in place. My lawyers, their lawyers, that's normal. I didn't know that at the time, but that's just normal. So then they give me edits on the book proposal and they package it up the way that they want to and they send it out to a slew of publishers, editors that they have relationship with. And they know who are the editors at which publishing houses at which imprints that are over which lists that do this kind of thing, et cetera. Like they have all of those relationships. They know all of the inside people and the people that might be interested in this. So they send it out far and wide. And if the editor is possibly interested, they will set up a meeting to learn more. I learned in hindsight that even just to get one meeting is a really big deal in this day and age. I was blessed to get uh, quite a few meetings and didn't know, like, I don't know, is this a lot, a little? I don't have anything to go off of. So what I was told is that to get multiple meetings these days is not the norm and therefore know that going in just to get any publisher that is interested to talk to you is already a celebration is already something, just one person in this area to go, oh my gosh, okay, somebody sees potential here. Even if nothing came of that meeting, take that as encouragement. So I was blessed to be able to get multiple meetings and that 
kind of the ultimate dream, which I did not know again at the time, I've learned so much about this process, is to have multiple publishers be interested. And then it goes to auction, where in essence they are bidding on it. Now, my agents had talked about this. Ideally, we hope it goes to auction, but there was just so much that I didn't know along the way. One of those things is I didn't realize that an auction was a day, like draft day or uh, Oscar nominations day right into Oscar night. Like it happens on a very set timed schedule. I thought it just meant like over the next few days, we'll get some emails, I will gauge interest. And no, it was like, okay, at 11 a.m., they put in their first bids. By 1 p.m., we get back to them with who the top highest two bidders are. At 3 p.m., we come back with uh, their second offers. By 5 p.m., we give them an answer or we reserve the right for you to sleep on it and tell them by noon the next day. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a thing. They literally told me this on a Tuesday at like 5 p.m. that it was, And I was like, when is this happening? And they said Thursday. And I was like, oh, okay, um, I teach at uh, 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure if, I guess I'm gonna have to reschedule things on my end. Like I just had no idea that this was what was coming. So when you go to auction, the uh, publishers don't know who is bidding or how many people are bidding. After the first round, when they what they are pr saying is, here's what I will offer for the book deal. Here's how much money I will offer and maybe some other details. I see this as being a hardback or a softback or this kind of hardback. It's going to be two color. It's going to be four color. All those things that kind of add up to how expensive is it going to be to publish this book? I'm going to pay you this as your book deal. And here's the other money that I'm going to invest because the more colors you have in a book, the more expensive. The nicer the cover is, the more expensive. So all of that, they're saying, here's the, you know, kind of here's the salary and the benefits that we're going to offer in essence. And they don't know who's bidding, how many people are bidding. Then they know what the highest bid was. You say there's now you know, this many people in and here's the highest bid. And then the hope is that everyone then goes up from there and says, okay, we're going to now try to outbid the highest bidder, you know, et cetera. Uh, Ellie asked, do you get any say who wins? It depends on the auction rules, the way my agents do the auction rules. They reserve the right to not have me go with the highest offer. They explain that if they're if they are close, if you have two people that are giving in the same ballpark of the amount of money, that there's other factors that are going to come into it. Maybe the chemistry of how you felt about the team or other elements that they're, you know, maybe one of them was really easy on giving you, allowing you to co-sign on the title, the art direction, the cover, all of that. Maybe one of them was dragging their feet more and you instinctively are like, you know, it seems like these people are more willing to acknowledge I really know my audience and to really want my creative input. And these people over here are a little bit harder sell. So that seems less appealing to work with. Similar to if you had multiple job offers and they're in the same salary ballpark, but there may be other benefits and you know, the culture and things like that that are kind of going into your decision. Um, in my case, as I said, it being a four-color book, um, the type of cover, whether they would cover the illustrations inside, whether they would pay for the photography inside, or I was paying for those things, all of that was part of the financial picture because it is a very visual book, which means it has more bells and whistles than a Gabby Bernstein or Glennon Doyle book that's going to be, you know, black print on white paper. There's no color inside, etc. Um, and as I'm going through these meetings in the weeks leading up to this auction day, of course, I'm having my own opinions as well about who I'm feeling the most chemistry with on these calls, who I'm the most excited to work with. But I'm also getting the advice along the way. You'll have your opinions, but if at the end of the day, one company offers you twice as much money than the next company, you're probably going to throw all those other reasons out the window and you're going to go with them because there's other things to consider that go into the book deal. One that I didn't know is that the amount you get paid for a book deal is spread over three years. Now, I am so blessed to have a company that I run that is my source of income because you're not going to get paid that much for a book 
considering the amount of hours that go into it, and when that money is spread over three years, with the fact that there are also all of these other possible expenses that will come out of trying to create and market the book. In my case, a publicist, possibly a, uh, a separate editor, uh, perhaps the photography or the illustrations. I have friends that have paid for their own covers because they didn't like the one provided by the publisher, but the publisher didn't want to invest more money in reshooting or redesigning, so they've just taken their own money, gotten their own cover made by a graphic designer that they found that they loved. Uh, certain elements of the tour or the events that you want to do surrounding it, maybe the publisher is going to cover some of those. Maybe you're going to have ideas that they don't want to cover. What about pre-order gifts? Are you going to create content and then not charge for it so that you can give it away as a free gift when people order? But if you weren't doing a book, you would have charged for that. That would be money that you're making and now you're giving it away for free. Or you have some other content that you normally charge for that you're going to give away at a discount or for free. So you're actually losing money over there to drive the book sales, which are not making you any more money now, but you're doing it with this really long tail vision of, I want to make sure that however many books my publisher has estimated I will sell, because it's all a math equation. When they say, we will give you X amount of money, that is a math equation on their back end that says, if we believe someone is going to sell 1,000 books, we pay them this. 10,000 books, we pay them that. 50,000 books, we pay them that because it's a revenue stream and they know the way the dollars and the numbers work. So if my publisher is giving me a big book deal, they expect I'm going to sell a lot of books. Well, I want to hit that not just because I want to sell a lot of books and have a big impact on the world, but I also want to be a good partner because if I undersell what they expect, then not only are they not going to want to work with me on a second and a third book, but other publishers aren't as well because they're going to look at the back-end numbers and go, oh, that book didn't sell that well. So there is so much that you put into selling a book that people do not write books to make money <laughs> unless they are like the most famous authors out there. From everything I can observe, it is predominantly a passion project that is a little bit of an income revenue stream, but for very few people is actually making really substantial money. It reminds me of so many creative fields, being on, uh, you know, in musical theater, being a musician, so few people are really making serious money. And therefore, even if you're listening today as someone who never has any intention to write a book, I hope that this gives you extra love and uh, inspiration and respect and honor for the people who do because they are not doing it because it is going to make them a ton of money, nor is it going to make them famous. Most of the people who are writing those big books have previously built up these big audiences over time to be there to sell the book, not the other way around. Jeannie said, how long is it from deal to publication? About 18 to 24 months. So when, when you hear someone say, I got a book deal, it means about a year and a half to two years later is when you can actually go into a store to buy that book, which is wild. So it really depends from everything I can gauge, because again, I'm doing this for the first time, it really depends on how long it takes you to write the book. How long it takes you to write the book depends on how much time you have. Are you a you know, a full-time stay-at-home mom and you are able to get 20 hours a week where you have a, a babysitter and you can write? Are you, like me, running a business and you can't just afford to be writing full-time? You still need to keep that business up and going. How much research is going into the book? For a lot of my girlfriends that I see write books, there isn't a ton of research. It's a little bit more their own wisdom, their own story from a, a memoir perspective. My book has a lot of research to it. However, some books have even more research. They are doing years of research. They're having to travel the world. They're doing, um, they're, they're putting together their own research studies, you know, all of that. So that widely, you know, ranges on whether it's taking you three months or three years to write this book. How much research you're doing and how much time you have to devote, I think are the two factors that go into that. Ariana asked, is there a date for pre-orders? There will be. And first of all, thank you so much for asking. 
It is just so sweet. And you are so my people that you understand. Like, I think you've followed enough authors to know how powerful pre-orders are because what they do is they say to Amazon and Barnes Noble and your local bookshop, people are interested in this book. Maybe we should get some more of these book in, books in stock. If nobody pre-orders, they're like, I don't really think anybody's going to want to buy this book. And then if everybody waits until the first week to buy the book, the book ends up sold out, which means that you now are not as competitive for the bestseller lists and the bestseller lists leads to momentum. And so it really is like a whole process. So there will be a date for pre-orders. I think it's around nine months before a book comes out. I don't think that that's a set in stone date. I think in part it depends on if you want to announce it before you have your cover and your title finalized, which I don't think that I do. Uh, I think I would rather wait until I officially have that. Uh, it also depends on are you kind of rushing it through. I would imagine back to the example of Amanda Klutz, that was a much shorter turnaround time than your normal book because they knew that it was timely and they were going to bust their butts to get it out there. Whereas most books, they're, they're not going to kind of break the rules like that. Uh, but again, I think it depends... If I can finish in the time that I'm planning to, what the timeline I have on the back end, if I can get that done and based on when, therefore, I think it's coming out, I think it will be about nine months before. But you will notice that I'm being very cautious not to say any of those dates or seasons or timelines because between you and me, I already feel enough pressure <laughs> knowing that I have agents and a publisher and a coach and a marketing team and like everybody waiting to see, can I write this book in the time that I say I'm going to write it? And because I haven't written a book before, I have no earthly idea. So the last thing I need is more pressure telling you guys when I'm going to be done and then having to come back and be like, it didn't happen. So Kate asked, uh, two final questions here. Kate asked, how did you stay motivated during the whole process? How did you not give up? And I really love this, Kate. It so goes back to the episode from last week about just when a dream is delayed. And all I can say is I just knew I was meant to do this. And I think there's differences, too, in why a dream is delayed. I wasn't being rejected. Back in my musical theater career, you're going on audition after audition after audition. And if you're not getting cast, it's so much putting yourself out there and getting rejection. I wasn't getting rejected. I, I just was struggling to find the time. Other people have writer's block. There may be other dreams that you are struggling with because of fear and resistance. I really didn't feel intimidated by the book writing process. I wasn't stumped on what I was going to write. I wasn't second guessing any of that. I just had to find the time. It was a time issue for me. And I think that that is a lot less demoralizing than rejection or mental resistance when it, it felt just more factual. I have to grow the business to get it to a point where I can write. And I also was motivated because for me, creating the time was also the key to just an overall life breakthrough. The book wasn't the only reason I needed to get my business to a certain level of spaciousness and freedom and, and kind of break through to a next level. It also was about, will I be able to have a family one day? It was about my mental health. There was so many other things that all came from that, that there was a lot of motivating factors pushing me to have some sort of aha in my time, spaciousness, and breakthrough. And the book was going to be one great win of that. And I also was just really clear that the book was meant to be. I mean, I think it's similar to how, how did I not get discouraged in dating when I was single for so long? I mean, I did, but I just really knew that I wanted to be married. And so I kept putting myself out there. How do you go through, you know, fertility, infertility and miscarriage and things that I've walked, watched some of my friends walk through so painfully? You just really believe that you want to be a mom. So I think for me, I was just so clear about the power that this book has. I'm so passionate about, oh, I'm going to get choked up again. I'm just so passionate about reaching people that that don't have the means, that um, that need to go to the library and get this for free, that are in prison 
and that um, that you know need to have someone gift this to their library um, who 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 buy it at a used you know bookshop years down the road because they can't afford to to pay for a physical book. Um, I just see the ability to genuinely help women that don't even have a lot of money and are so desperate to feel that joy and peace and confidence that is so needed in order to get to a place where they have more confidence and peace in their job interviews, in their careers, in the things that, you know, lift the, lift them out into a better life, as well as just wanting to be able to reach so many more women than I'm going to reach through a course or a podcast, um, you know, just just all the reasons that I was so passionate about it. I think in the same way, for me, I would equate it in the desire to be married or the desire to want to be a mother. That desire is just so intrinsic for me um, in the way that some of those things are for other people that it just, you might be discouraged that it's not happening, but it's it's a different thing when it really feels like it's such a core part of who you are rather than a box you're trying to check, an accolade that your ego would love. And there is nothing wrong with those things either. But I just think sometimes we will find if we get discouraged enough in those things, we realize, does it really matter to me to have 10,000 followers on Instagram? Like, does it really matter to me to say that I have a seven-figure business? Like, I don't know if that's really worth the chase. And I've had those moments as well. And as we talked about last week, there is nothing wrong with saying, I don't think I want this dream anymore. I think I've got more information now and this just doesn't feel worth it. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. That just wasn't the case in this instance. And the last question was from Chris who said, how did you handle anxiety and self-doubt when it comes to writing? Chris, for me, I would reframe this question to how do you? Because I am just really at the beginning of writing. And for me, the anxiety and the self-doubt of putting the book proposal together was not really there because I had built up this audience. That goes back to the very top, one of the questions at the very top. By building up an audience, it gives you the confidence to say, people are interested in this topic. They are interested in hearing from me. And my ideas and advice and insight and inspiration and education is genuinely helping them. My clients are being helped. People are asking these questions. When I give them the answer, they are so grateful. And with that, building, you know, it's it's bringing it back to building that audience. You know the reader is there as your first step. And then going forward, the best advice that I have heard and that I am clinging to is that you continue to write for her and not the critic. And where the real anxiety comes from is not from you. If you're listening to this right now, I know you're, I know this book is going to bless you. I know where your head and heart are at. I see it in the reviews you leave here on the podcast and your comments on Instagram and your DMs and you're part of my Instagram stories crew and you're in my courses and my communities. Like, I know you, you're going to love this book. The, the way, the times I get tripped up are when I think about the person that is going to read it with arms crossed going, I'm probably going to disagree with this. Well, this is probably going to make me angry. You know what? I bet that as a skinny girl, she is not going to be able to speak to me. You know, I bet that as someone who, like that posture who's looking for, and, and we just all know those people, right? That are looking for how can I how can I misunderstand this person? How can I point out that they did not exactly spoon feed me exactly what I needed rather than coming from the perspective of, you know what, if part of this book blesses me, that's great. And the part that wasn't for me, it's going to be for somebody else, you know? So when I think about the critic, that's when I get in my head. And that's when I start to get tight and I start to try to write for every single teeny tiny angry person with their own little individual issues, which just means that I'm going to try to write for every single troll out there instead of the 90% of people that are just here to get closer to the light. And a friend gave me a really beautiful uh, vision a few weeks ago. Long story, but really it had to do with 
the fact that I am, what I am about is climbing higher in the tree because it's more beautiful the higher that you get. You can see more of the sunrise and the sunset and the colors and the spaciousness. There's more breathing room up there. And I am all about climbing up the tree to show other women who also want to get closer to the light how to get there. But along the way, there's going to be some people who don't want to get closer to the light. They've been hurt. They're angry. They're bitter. People are critical of them, so they're critical of others. And they just, they they look for the bad. They look for, for ways to complain. They look for things that people are doing wrong. And those people are always going to exist, and that's fine, but I'm not writing for them. I'm writing for you and all of us that are trying to get closer to the light. And when I picture that, people who are seeking the light are not critical. People who are seeking the light are not the ones leaving those negative comments that we all see on other people's profiles. And you think, really? This is what you chose to do with your day is like make fun of this celebrity's baby name? Like why? Why are you spending your time doing that? She, it's what she named her baby. It's a, Don't make fun of the name. Just like move on with your life. You know, we see these, these little comments. Those are not the people that are seeking the light. Those people are, are going, oh, good for her. And scrolling on by, and then they're reading a beautiful, inspiring quote in the next one, and that's how they're spending their time. So the more that I can focus on that, the more it helps me. And the only time I get insecure is when I think about the the people who, the critic, rather than you, rather than my girl. Also, almost daily self-coaching and journaling and prayer, truly I am the self-coaching ninja at this point, and I am so grateful that I did not get my prayer answered years ago, (laughs) that I would write the book then because I would not have been, I had not created enough spaciousness, enough mental, emotional health. I'm not saying you can't do it at that point. It just would have been harder. So the more mentally and emotionally and spiritually healthy I've gotten, the better foundation I have to go, that feels like a scarce thought. That feels like insecurity. And as I heard someone brilliant say the other day, insecurity is proof of wrong security. If I'm feeling insecure about the critic, then I am putting my security that I am wise and thoughtful and creative into the opinion of someone who is out there looking to tear other people down. That's not who I should be putting my security in. I should be putting my security in in God, in myself, in other people, you know, who are choosing the light. Also, I've been reading a lot of books on the subject of calling, purpose, creativity, writing. So I'm staying also in a really supportive place where I'm spending more of my time taking that in rather than the news or general other topics. I'm just really focused on this is the season that I'm in. So anybody who's talking about how to lean into your calling, how to tune out the negativity, how to choose more positivity, how to push past resistance and creativity, like I'm I'm immersing myself in that world. I'm swimming in that sea so that that is so much of what's in my head. You you know, ultimately my great why is in, in the world is that the Great, deep questions of life cannot be answered in an Instagram caption or a podcast episode. That books are what lead to genuine breakthrough in life because of the depth they have between their covers that doesn't exist many other places in culture. And the books that have shaped me the most, I've read multiple times. I just started again this morning. uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is the latest example where I listen to an audiobook and right away I can tell, oh my gosh, this is so good. I need the tangible book. I'm going to listen through to the audiobook and I'm going to take notes and I'm going to let it bless me. And then I'm going to start again with the tangible book so that I can highlight and underline because I'm going to want to come back to this. The amount of work that goes into a book leads to such depth that the ephemeral nature of most podcasts or blog posts just doesn't have. And the intimacy of a book that we read them before we go to sleep, we travel the world with them, we spend our free time and our quiet time with them, they decorate our homes, they sit on our shelves to remind us of things. The best ones, in my opinion, make our rooms more beautiful and we love having them sitting out on our coffee table 
But also, we have read multiple times, we have underlined and we have highlighted and we have written notes to ourselves in the margin. And for me, that is the kind of impact that I want to have. And it's why I am committed to this vision and to seeing it through. And there's such a genuine, authentic passion beneath it because I know and see that in my own life, through my own love of books, and I am so honored for mine to one day soon-ish be a part of your life in that way too. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately, which by the way, may or may not be in these more official petite pods as we go forward. I mean, you can look at the time signature. Today's was not a petite pod, but as I said, we're going to be flexible. Some are going to be longer. Some are going to be shorter. But on our short little bite-sized ones, just to let you know, I may not be keeping up with the something I'm loving lately um, because this as well takes a lot of times, uh, a lot of time often for me to figure out what is a new thing that I can share. So what I am authentically loving lately is researching. I am loving officially having permission to go all out nerd alert into researching on a topic that deeply fascinates me, that I'm deeply passionate about and feeling like it is not something I want to get to one day when I have more time. I actually have an obligation and it's not something that is a distraction from the other things I'm doing in my business. It actually is wise to be doing it. I have books splayed all over my couch in um, – it looks like chaos, but it's actually an organized chaos of, of these different stacks and where I'm at with them. I probably have 50 books on my couch and more that I'm listening to on audiobook. I have both audio and physical. I can cover a lot more ground in audio because I can listen a lot faster. But then anytime there's a quote that I want to remember, I can go open up the physical book and highlight it so I don't have to write it down. So that's my weird method to my madness. But there is such diversity going into this book that you would not believe. I am reading books on science, psychology, spirituality, history, style, beauty, marketing, mindset, all of the things. And I am just so honored to do this work for you to gather up all of these diverse elements to consider just how complex our beauty, our confidence, our inner peace and joy are. So thank you so much for these amazing questions. Make sure you're following along on Instagram while I will share as much as I can of the behind the scenes. And I am so grateful that you are here. Thank you so much, if you haven't yet, for taking just a minute to swipe up, tap those stars, leave a quick review, come over to Instagram and share this uh, there or elsewhere with anyone you think will be blessed by today's episode. And I will see you there and next week with grace and gumption. Till next Wednesday.